Hello, everybody. I'm Nicole. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Sarah. And together, we're the co-founders of Whale Tales, a living library of cetacean stories. Today, we have a very special guest. Lindsay, who is it? It's Christina from Norway, a whale watch naturalist and who also manages the Orca channel over there. Surprise, we're doing more Orca stuff for Orca Awareness Month. Who would have guessed? So sit back and enjoy as we dive right in. All right. Hi, Christina. Thank you for being here and dealing with our exciting time zones. Um, why don't you tell us a bit about you and your whale watching and your whales and basically everything because we don't know and we're excited. Yeah. Hello, everyone. My name is Christina Balotay. I'm originally from Hungary, which is a landlocked country. So it's kind of interesting that I have winded up here in the north of Norway. But uh, I really like whales and especially orcas since I was uh, basically five years old. And of course, the first time I have seen the movie Free Billy, which I think have changed for a lot of people. And um, I have been uh, doing some research in British Columbia with Orca Lab, studying uh, acoustics about, uh, about the orcas in that region, the northern resident killer whale population. And after that, I was lucky enough to get an opportunity to come to Norway and work as a whale watching guide. And since then, I'm stuck here, which is already over six years ago now. I'm helping out with the, with the research as well in the area to Norwegian Orca Survey, mainly with the long-term photo identification project, because as you know, I'm spending like almost every day, if the weather allows us, uh, for three months with these animals. So I have an enormous amount of uh, pictures and these can be utilized to identify the animals and also to track the populations and kind of get an idea of who is coming back in, in which winter on how many times, how long they spent here, who has a calf and all these kind of uh, things. Yeah, those are the things that are so cool. And it's such a, um, a thing that we don't think about here because as we've talked about before, our orcas here were the first ones that were cataloged. And so that's, and this is where it started. So having to start um, from kind of scratch with cataloging and IDing and understanding pods and matrilines lines and all of that stuff is just, sounds so cool to me. Yeah, in Can in Canada it's a little bit more easier and sophisticated because over there you can have the family relationships and everything uh, in between the orcas. In Norway, I think it's because of the number of the orcas and the population size like it's over 1500 animals as per the estimation. I think the family relations only can be uh, distinguished by biopsy samples. So, for example, even if we identify an animal or Norwegian Orca Survey identifies an animal, it's uh, not possible to know who is the who is the mother or who is related to who. Some of the animals are always seen together. For example, there is three fully grown males who probably have been brothers or, like I said, I, I don't know the family relationships, but they have always been uh, seen together in the past few years. So there must be some sort of relation between them. I have many questions. I have so many questions. I'm so excited. <laughs> um, so just for our listeners, because we've we've spent a lot of time whenever we talk about orcas talking about the different ecotypes, uh, and you, Christina, have probably heard us go on our rant, as our listeners have, about speciation, and we're not going to get into that today. But just to kind of orient our listeners, 
when you speak about this population of over a thousand orcas uh, in the North Sea, what ecotype are you looking at? Yeah, so technically, in Norway, the vin- in, during the winter time, the orcas are gathered here because of the herring, because the herring comes close to shore to overwinter, and therefore they are supposed to be fish eaters, and uh, actually the North Atlantic type uh, one. But uh, these orcas are unique, and Norway is unique from this perspective, that sometimes here they are mixing the predation behaviors, which means that there are some orcas who have been identified during the winter time going after herring, and in the summertime, when the herring is further offshore, and they happen to be at the Norwegian coastline, they um, occasionally take some seals. But there are also... A small seal eater population in Norway who are only going after uh, seals, but those ones are normally not the ones I'm watching in the winter time because the winter ones who gather in big numbers in the Norwegian fjords are uh, fish eaters and they come after the, the herring. So this is unique and uh, I think it's not even recorded anywhere else in the world that uh, a fish eater orca would go after a seal. It's only unique for, for Norway sometimes. But not all, not all of them. Some of them, yeah. Yeah, it's so crazy. It's such a weird thing because coming from here, they're so specific. But I know that everywhere else they're not. Like in Western Australia, they eat, they like chase beaked whales and eat squid and like all of the stuff. And all rays the same time. and turtles. Yeah. And so like they're much more generalist, which makes sense as a large predator. But here they're just so strange. And yeah. Yeah, in Australia, I would I would be very curious about those transients. Like you said, they're going after seals or whales or squids or, or whatever. But that's like a transient range. So they're not going after any school of fish or anything. So here it's more it's more like a mix between the fish eating or the or the Yeah, yeah, that seems to be kind of the behavior. line, like mammals and other stuff, non-fish stuff, and then fish. Like those are the kind of the two. Yeah, like schooling fish versus large prey yeah oh yeah and last last winter i was not lucky enough to see it but uh, some of our friends have seen a group of orcas going after a harbor porpoise it was not confirmed um not confirmed the id for the for the orca but that also happened so it also could be it was just a seal eater who happened to be in the area and found the harbor porpoise alone or if it was a fish eater and and <laughs> Nobody knows why I went after the harbor porpoise. <laughs> yeah, well, we know some of the southern residents. There's been stories of southern residents uh, playing, not in a nice way, with harbor porpoises, um, using like teasing like a cat would. So, but then of course not eating them. So who knows? Like killer whales do all sorts of random things all the time. So you never know what you're gonna get. And I can absolutely support that because we very often see them playing with uh, little oaks. This is just a little bird and they are very similar to puffins, but much smaller. And they are very clumsy on the water when they have to take off and when they have to fly. And sometimes you can see especially young orcas and they chase them or grab them or even drag them underwater, but then let them come back up. But poor birds are so small and you can see the fear in their eyes (laughs) when the orcas are getting closer. (laughs) (laughs) yeah we get ox here too or up up north here yeah um so you mentioned that the orcas that you have primarily come in the winter to feed on the inshore herring 
do you do people know where they go in the summer yeah they actually follow the herring and the fishing boats uh so the herring goes offshore uh, to lay the eggs and feed and the orcas normally can be found this time of the year in no, not this time of the year but right after the mi- winter in the middle range of Norway further offshore and during the summertime some herring comes closer to the shore still not like in the winter time but a little bit closer and then there's when you can have sporadic sightings about the orcas for example in July around Andenes or around Stø or the Lofoten area and after that, they go, they start to migrate basically further north and eventually end up in the fjords of Tromsø, Sherway, or wherever they are going to end up this this season. We don't know that. And so when you see them together, like if you're if you're out on a on a sighting, what is because I know you were saying that, you know, like right now, because of where the research is at, it's really hard to identify family dynamics, um, whether or not these these orcas actually follow similar family dynamics to what we see in the Pacific is a whole other thing that we don't know yet. But what is the average group size when you actually spot a group together? I would say between 10 and 15. Sometimes I see smaller groups and sometimes I see bigger. It's less common that I see bigger ones, like up to 20 or or 25, but I think the average size is around 10 or or 15. Is anybody doing biopsy research on them? Yes, Norwegian Orca Survey is working on uh, biopsy sampling and they are trying to get some information about the uh, genetics and it's re- it's a really nice project because uh, they are only ma- uh, making biopsies from animals which is already identified which means that it's actually easier to have some sort of family relationships in between them not just biopsying random animals so when you go out like however for many times almost every day if you can during the season november to january like every day, like you recognize, like do they do they stay? Do you see them like this a couple of times a week sometimes, or is it just like you never know who you're gonna get? Well, I would say we never know who we're gonna get on a daily basis, but uh, we we see the same individual animals uh, very often. Sometimes multiple times a week, and sometimes, for example, if we are talking about fully grown males, they disappear for a few days or even for a week or a week and a half, and then they come back. And uh, yeah, it very depends on their location of the fishing activity. Because in Norway, the orcas are getting kind of lazy and they are following around these big, huge commercial fishing vessels. And when they put out the net and they are fishing for the herring, then they are all over the place. And uh, it's actually very funny to see that they are just lying next to the net and waiting for the, <laughs> waiting for the easy catch. <laughs> so you can see, you can tell, you can tell how smart they are, and at the same time also how lazy they are. Uh, yeah, so we never know who we're gonna get, but um, we recognize individuals, and sometimes we, we have an animal who is in the area for like a month or a month and a half, and it can happen that we see him every day or we see her every second day or whatever is the frequency, but we can we can see them multiple times. What is the uh, fisher the fisher people's reaction to that? To the orcas. 
Yeah. Well, I think they 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 already got used to it, and I think they are less disturbed about the orcas than the people because in Norway there is a lot of people, obviously, who comes here to see uh, see the animals, and they are also going close to the fishing boats, which sometimes can be a little bit disturbing to the fishing activity. So I would say about the orcas, they they are also fascinated about them, and sometimes you can see that uh, if they have a moment and they take a photo or they they take a video, I'm, I'm sure they have a very nice view from these fishing boats, you know, a little bit higher up, and you can see all these orcas are all around the nets together with the humpback whales. It uh, it must be fascinating. So I think <laughs> they have a, a first. First, first, uh, raw cinema, cinematic experience mm-hmm. with them mm-hmm. when they are around. Yeah, you've had some uh, photos that we've got on our website of the orcas with the fishing boats, and they're absolutely incredible. And they're just so excited, they're just like jumping through herring, like look at all this fish. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they were. They very often spy hopping and uh, slapping their tails. And even I have seen one of them was doing pectoral fin slapping. So they kind of try everything to, to get the attention or to get the free, free, free bite. It's <laughs> yeah. nice to hear, though, that, you know, that the, the fishing organizations don't seem to, to mind too much, and le- at least with the animal, the animal impact. Because I know here in BC, there can sometimes be a much more adversarial relationship between fishing operations and on oh, both types of orcas, yeah. uh, whether it's the whether it's the residents or the bigs, and also with the with the bigs prey seals and sea lions. So that's actually really nice to hear. It can be that there are problems, but uh, the problem is usually when the orcas are too uh, pushy, and sometimes it happens that they end up in the net. And that can be a a, pro- a problem, but personally, I have never seen such a thing uh, live. I just heard the uh, stories about that. And uh, yeah, so I, I wouldn't comment on that. But if the orcas are behaving and they are just um, going after what's falling out or actually trying to get something out of the net and they are not inside the net, I think uh, they have already learned to kind of coexist together. Let's put it that way. So... Before we continue, I just want to go on a quick tangent about the other animals that you see. You mentioned humpbacks. So are humpbacks and I think you've seen pilot whales there in your season as well? Is that correct? The very last season, I haven't seen any pilot whales. The year before, which was actually the 2019-2020 season, there was one day and I think <laughs> the pilot whales have chosen the darkest day in the whole year, the darkest and the most cloudy and the rainy and every, everything. So it was just like at night time. And all of a sudden, we, have, we haven't seen orcas that day. We only saw humpback whales. And the humpback whales were surrounded by, like, I don't know how many, but maybe three, 400 pilot whales. They were everywhere. And I was... I wasn't sure at the first time if it was like a play behavior, but then I talked to some people and, you know, pilot whales are in big numbers, so they can outnumber even a humpback whale. And maybe it was not a play for the humpback whale because they made kind of heavy sounds, heavy breathing sounds, and it looked like they tried to, after a while, they tried to get away from the pilot whales, but they were like everywhere. And... uh, yeah, like I said, the orcas were not in the area, maybe because of the pilot because of the pilot whales uh, that day. But it was super crazy how many you can see all at the same time. It was it was crazy. They were everywhere. Calves, together with mums, very young ones, also males, and they were all over the humpback whale. Some of them were even trying to position themselves on the top of the humpback whale. That's what gave me a little bit of an impression that maybe this is not so fun for the humpback whale. <laughs> 
Oh, that's so cool. Are there any other marine mammals, whether they're cetaceans or not, that you see frequently in your season? Yes, we can sometimes see uh, fin whales. I wouldn't say frequently because uh, before the the very last season, I have maybe seen them once or twice. But actually last season, I'm not sure it's was because of the less uh, boat traffic because we had restrictions in the country to enter due to the due to the virus but we have seen quite a lot of fin whales i would say once a week and they are very shy you can see them from very very far away because they are huge but they are very shy and last year uh, we were very lucky because I think, like I said, because of the few number of boats, they were not so shy. And sometimes we could even see them from like, uh, I don't know, 20, 25 meters. And uh, it was quite amazing. They were some, they were, there was one day, which I uh, remember, and they were even porpoising in the water. They were a little bit further away. But when you see this, such an enormous animal jumping out of the water, like a, like a dolphin, it was pretty amazing. That's so cool. I just... Like, as much as I want to see fins and blue whales in general, I just, seeing them do something like that would just, I don't even know, just blow my mind. Because it's just, like, it's so, again, they shouldn't exist in general, physically, like, physics-wise, but it's just, and then being able to do that, like, what? How is this thing? <laughs> yes. It looks like, for me, it looks like, especially last season, it looked like that all the cetaceans doesn't care about gravity anymore, because we have seen even orcas breach a lot more time than, uh, than usual, and I'm sure you remember the the breach photo that I took uh, at the very beginning of the season last year. And that was also a fully grown male orca. And he he just jumped out of the water like if nothing has happened with all his <laughs> big body over over six tons maybe. And it looked so effortless that I was, I was shocked. <laughs> so when you're there in the winter, so this is November to January in Norway. So it's dark all the time, regardless of the rain and freezing. So what? Oh no, no November is, is still good. November is still good. <laughs> you, you, can, you can still see. <laughs> It's clearly very different than like the experience that most of BC's researchers and naturalists get because our orca season here is the summertime. And since we're both in the Northern Hemisphere, like we're, we're talking about the same seasons here. Winter is gross and dark and summer is, is, is beautiful. So what's it like being on the water? You know, like how many hours of daylight? What's the typical, like, do you get wind cancellations? Oh, what yes. is that experience? So like? like I said, everybody wants to come in November because November is still uh, light. So you can be out like three, four, even five hours because it gets dark towards the end of November around two, maybe one. December can be can be quite dark. Um, like the 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 darkest day of the year is the 21st of uh, December so that means that we go out around half past 10 which is not fully daylight yet it's like a grayish daylight and then it gets to the lightest point of the day for like one and a half maximum two hours and then already starts to go back to to dark so it's like two hours of whale watching and you shouldn't expect sunlight or anything it's like uh, five o'clock in the afternoon in the autumn in Europe and uh, if it's snowing then it's even more darker if it's not snowing then you can get actually really nice colors because the sun doesn't rise above the horizon and that creates like this pink coloration or sometimes orange so that that is actually very uh, very beautiful but yeah two hours and wind cancellations some seasons are good some seasons are not so good it depends on uh, yes we we do get so i would say weekly at least once a day 
uh, no, I mean once a week. We have to we have to cancel on an average because it's uh, crazy weather. It's too windy, or the wind direction is, for example, from the north, which is very not ideal, especially if the orcas are heading that direction. Then uh, yeah, we have to cancel. But we can end up with better seasons, which means that um, even for a month there is no cancellation. It also depends on the flexibility of the people <laughs> and the and the operators, you know, because some some operators like to go out even in worse weather some operators prefer to stay in if it's very very windy or if it's more windy than a certain level so it depends on that as well all of this makes so much more sense when you start to think about you know because we get some we get questions from from listeners and from fans on on our socials about like well just why don't we know more about other populations and when you start to think about the logistics a you know we we have identified many many times that the populations in bc have been studied for now it's what 60 years and we're still only at the point where we know this much because it's been going on for that long in places like in norway the studies have been going on for what i think it's like 15 no it's even more i think a little bit more than 20 I mean, there are some researchers who have done who are, who are doing this for a for a long time, and of course, they provide some data to Norwegian Orca Survey. So overall, I would say it's a little bit over twenty, maybe even twenty five years that they are trying to study and and understand them. But then you think about still like uh, the typical day that a researcher, so not a naturalist, because naturalists have very very strict restrictions around how long they can spend with the whales in BC. Um, but a researcher with a researcher's permit could be spending in, in BC waters upwards of 10 to 12 hours a day, a day with, with populations of orcas for also usually like the season is about five to six months or so sometimes even longer, depending on, on when the, when the orcas arrive. So I just think the perspective of that, you know, if you think about, a third of the amount of years studying, but also like really a third of the amount of time per year that gets devoted yeah, to that just, study. It's so hard. And I like, you think about the photogrammetry that they're doing here with the drones and stuff. And like, you just, you need it to be light. You need the sky to be light and you need the water to be light. Cause otherwise you're not going to be able to see these oh, animals yes. are black on top. Yeah. So what are you going to yes, see? You can see the water. And I don't know how well drones fly in the wind. <laughs> they they do. There, some of them are end up in the water, but we also try it. And just to comment on Lindsay's black water and the black animal. Yeah, you can only see the the saddle patch, and when they are already already close to the water, so it's uh it's kind of hard. But yeah, I mean you can try, and you can end up with very nice uh very nice weather, and then you you have uh, clear images. But that's the reason why what you just explained the amount of time of possibility when you can actually conduct the research and collect the data and the pictures and everything why we have why we are still i would say in a how to say this we are still in a in a much less uh, sophisticated way of the research for the photo identification and the family relationships and the genetics and everything about the Norwegian killer whales because it's also compared to BC a much larger area and they are more much more spread out they travel much more and uh, sometimes they are very hard to be accessed so and there's more of them <laughs> yeah and they don't behave in the 
nice ways that we do of like, oh, look, there's one. And it's always with the exact same three. So we obviously know who they are. Um, so when you were talking about you doing the photo ID and helping the Norwegian Orca survey, so are they, they have the ID numbers? Do you have nicknames for them? Like, how are you identifying them, like, colloquially, let's say? Yeah, so they have, uh, all of them has a code which conducts uh, three numbers. It's NKW, and that stands for Norwegian Killer Whale, and then a dash and three numbers. And some of them has a name and some of them doesn't have a name. I don't actually know based on what one of them gets a name or the other one doesn't, but the, it's actually quite a few who has a name. So compared to, for example, for the Southern Residents, which all of them are actually named, it's uh, it's like nothing. But last year, uh, on the breaching photo, the one that was NKW151, and I actually sent the picture to Eve, um, to Eve uh, saying that uh, I have seen a whale and I just uh, referred to him as Jumpy and Eve said that uh, she will keep the name. So since then he, he became, he, he became Jumpy. I love it. That's a pretty good name. Yeah. <laughs> That's like, we have a humpback calf here whose name is Pop-Tart because his first summer, all he did was breach. So <laughs> I think that that's all of the, like, I mean, again, I, I want to nerd out really hardcore on these, but keeping our listeners in mind, I think that's the, the biggest questions that first come to mind when I think about the population, um, which is probably a good opportunity to transition us to my favorite segment of the podcast. Christine, are you ready? It's time for Fun Flipper Facts with Christina. Christina, since you are our special guest today, you get to share with us and our listeners your favorite fact that you've learned about these type one Atlantic Norwegian specialty unique orcas. Yeah, so the Norwegian orc Norwegian orcas are quite funny from uh, this perspective. I'm sure all of the orcas are acoustic creatures, so I think... Um, this would work basically everywhere, and I have also tried it in, in Japan, but they really like if you make sounds to them. I mean, uh, normally we whistle to them, and it happened multiple times, especially the last season with less boats in the area, that when, when they hear you whistling to them, they come close to the boat and they answer you. So they just float next to the boat and make sound out of their out of their blowhole right as a reaction right after when you are whistling to them. And they <laughs> it's just so fascinating to make a connection. And when you have people on the boat, you know, you explain a lot of things about the orcas and then they see you whistle to them and they come closer. And of course, because we are out almost every day for like two and a half, three months. Some of the orcas are recognizing you, especially the boat and the sound of the sound of the engine. So sometimes you can see that when they see you in a distance, they are already approaching the boat. And if you start whistling, they are just lying next to the next to the boat and, and listening to you. And like I said, sometimes they they answer. And I found it fascinating and it's an amazing experience. And two years ago when we went to Japan, I said to my partner that we have to try this. And actually the same thing happened with the orcas in Japan that we were whistling to them. And one of the females were just lying on the surface and uh, she answered to us. It was incredible. <laughs> it's uh, it's something worth to try maybe even in maybe even in BC. If they are in hearing range, I'm sure they are going to they are going to react. That's so that's cool. so amazing. <laughs> wow. Huh. Well, thank you. That was an excellent fun flipper fact. 
but the Norwegian Norwegian orcas really like when you when you when you are loud around them, so they like to ride ride the waves. And uh, there was one day when uh, I was screaming because they were so close, uh, two males behind the back, and they were porpoising uh, behind the boat. And the higher or the louder I was screaming, <laughs> the closer they came. And every time I screamed, they surfaced. And I tried that even after he was breathing, I screamed another one, and then he came back up. So they really like uh, the sounds if you make sounds around them that's uh, very obvious from the Norwegian orcas that they really love all sorts of sounds and they surely will have a reaction if you try to get their attention for a few seconds wow that's so cool huh amazing well I guess we'll just have to go and find out ourselves <laughs> oh yes one day when we're allowed to travel again so you've told us so many stories already and and of course on our website we have uh, tons of amazing stories for me from the last I think three four seasons but is there any story that maybe you yeah any stories that you uh really stick out in your mind that you want to share again that maybe you've already shared with us or maybe you haven't there's two which <laughs> or three I, I don't know <laughs> yeah there's uh there was one which happened like two years ago which you know the orca it, it started kind of sad or at least i thought it was sad because uh, you know that the orcas mourn their calves if they are uh, dead and there was a female who was carrying a calf around and i was like what happened we it looked like the calf was not uh, the calf was not moving and uh, it was uh, strange we tried to get a little bit closer to see what's uh, what's going on and then the female, I think, somehow felt, you know, that I was worried or I had concerns about what, what is going on. And she actually approached the boat from the back with the calf. And when she arrived, the calf, all of a sudden, like in one second, he, he or she, I don't know, but the baby was jumped off from the mother's head and then swim around in a little circle. So it was actually alive. But which was so remarkable for me is that the female really came close to the boat to show that the baby is alive and it, it, it wasn't because from a distance I, I couldn't see it I was just oh my god something must have happened because this is not normal for a calf like this to just lie on the rostrum of the mother and then yeah she she came very very close like two meters from the boat and then she showed that the calf is alive and then after a minute she she left together with the calf and I was calm that, <laughs> that it's alive so it was uh, that was something I will never forget yeah that's interesting behavior and who knows i don't know if that or if the calf was sick or i don't know maybe just sleeping who knows how yeah maybe to. maybe they, maybe it was just resting a little bit because they had a we had a fishing boat in the area like a few minutes before for like an hour mm. so mm -hmm. it very often happens that after a feeding around the fishing vessels, you can tell that the calf is already totally full and they cannot even dive. They just float on the surface while the rest of the group is uh, diving and waiting for them to come back up again. So probably it was just tired and took a, took a rest, wow. which took longer than nor normal. And we arrived and we saw it. And I I don't know, of course, I have no proof of that, but it surely looked like that the mother felt that I'm, I'm worried what's going on. And then she approached and showed that everything is fine, fine. <laughs> It was very. That is incredible. I'm just. Uh, that's so cool. <laughs> it is. It's one of those things that, like, you know, when we when we think about the stories that that we like to read, or or the ones that just kind of that hit us the most, it is when you can you 
you know that you're making a connection with that animal, that animal who lives such a completely different life than than you and and that that really that we can even imagine especially in the case of these orcas that that we're still learning so much about that is very special thank you for sharing that with us no worries i'm sure i'm sure they uh they um i mean especially last season basically the only permanent boat who went out every single day together with the with them uh, to film for the orca channel or sometimes we had uh, a few guests it was us so it was really like you know they they surely recognize us they surely recognize my voice and especially when i'm when i'm whistling so it's kind of like we go watch them and they also come watch us a little bit because <laughs> they are like oh, i know i know you you are my friend and you can sometimes see on their behavior that there are boats but that of course is not the is not the behavior it's not never the behavior of the boat but there are some boats with drivers who they prefer not to be close to and they prefer other skippers who they prefer to be closer to and you can sometimes see their behavior when they see a certain type of boats they keep a distance or when they see another certain type of boats who they actually like then they will go much closer than for the previous one so it's um it's like we have individual orcas who we see multiple times in a season and we can recognize them, but it's a two-way street. So they can also recognize us. They can also recognize our behavior. And of course, they have their own preferences. Ugh, yeah, that sounds incredible. So before we get into our CTA, do you want to tell us a little bit about Orca Channel? Just briefly, you guys, something you started this year. Was it because of the pandemic? Yeah, ha- halfway, halfway, I would say. More or less, maybe a little bit more than halfway with the pandemic uh it was kind of something we we had to do if we wanted to bring the orcas to the people because they were not allowed to to come here but we will continue this year as well because we get a lot of uh, positive feedback and even though if the country is going to be open and hopefully a lot of people like you can come and see them for uh, yourself in person we still would like to show it to as many people as possible so we will continue to film with a weekly episode which is going to be narrated so you can learn about them and we try to include also uh, individual animals in the orca channel episode so people can get uh, more attached <laughs> more attached to the series and if they are lucky and we have a lot of recitings of that uh, certain animal then basically they can follow they can follow that animal through that throughout the whole season it's not just about uh, a group of orcas but let's try to make it a little bit more personal <laughs> We try to show all sorts of uh, aspects of their lives, like feeding, resting, evening feeding, which was actually not evening. It was just dark, three o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> and then, <laughs> and then, yeah, interactions with uh, humpback whales, socializing. We got a lot of uh, jumps and spy hops on camera, which was quite amazing. And uh, yeah, everything. Amazing, amazing. Well, before we wrap up, we always like to finish things off with something um, a call to action or a small action that our listeners can do to help um, preserve and protect orcas or the ocean around them. So if you've got one to share, that would be awesome. I'm actually very uh, sad to see each and every winter that the Arctic is getting uh, more and more polluted from plastic-wise. I mean, when I started to work here, uh, I have never seen plastic bags or anything floating around in Arctic waters because this is still considered to be a pristine environment where these things doesn't come. And in the last few years, 
I have seen uh, quite a lot of uh, plastic trash floating around the orcas, which we always take out if we find one. But if I can share just one thing, and that's the easiest, which I think anyone can contribute to, is to try to take your trash to a trash can. And let's not uh, dump anything in the water because it can harm, and sometimes it does harm these animals. So it's very important to try to keep their environment as clean as possible. Yes, definitely. That leads in nicely to Plastic Free July, which is starting again, of course, I think tomorrow when this comes out. Um, so we've always shared some tips and you can look, check out our social for more tips. It's complicated in a pandemic, but less complicated than it was last year. So there's always things you can do to reduce your plastic and also just make sure that you're disposing of all of your trash uh, safely. Well, I think that uh, that probably will bring us to the end of our episode. Christina, thank you so, so much for being here with us today. It was awesome. And just on a personal fan note, I'm so excited to get the chance to just pick someone's brain about these populations that we, we as in the three of us, don't know much about. No worries. It was very, very nice to talk, talk to all of you. We'll just bring, we'll bring you back if you're, if you're open to that. <laughs> Um, we would really love to, we would really love to hear our listeners' thoughts on this or any episode. So please visit our website, whale-tales.org, and find links to our various social media handles so you can drop us a line. You can also tweet at us directly. I am FHG07. Sarah is Sarah K. Given, no H. And Nicole is Nick F. Can, C-A-N-N. Christina, you can find on Instagram at Christina Balote and also Christina Balote Photo on Facebook. Plus Orca channel you can find on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Um, you can also head to our website to subscribe to our podcast, check out our merchandise, and learn about supporting us and becoming a patron. And while you're there, you can read over 1,000 whale, dolphin, and porpoise stories. You will definitely find some of Christina's there. Yeah, that's whale-tales.org. Tales like the story, not tales like the animal. And of course, if you have seen a cetacean like Christina has, we would love to add your story to our library. Click the share link on our site, contact us on social media, whaletales.org, or email us a voice memo and we could feature you in another episode of the podcast. Thank you again for listening and for supporting us. We will be back on the last Wednesday of next month with a brand new episode. Thanks everybody and have a whaley great day.